This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. This is Houston Huddleston from New Starship, and I'm restoring the Enterprise D bridge, and you're listening to Trek FM. T. Earl Grey, hot. Well, it's time for another serving of Earl Grey, our dedicated TNG show. I'm Philip Gilfus, sitting in the center chair this week, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, First Contact Specialist, Daniel Prue. Now, Daniel, I, I hear you're getting ready to beam down to visit a society that's about to develop warp, warp drive. H- how do you think it'll go? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting pretty excited here. And without being too crass for our family-friendly episode of, uh, of Earl Grey, I do have to say that uh, I, I've been going to, from, from first contact scenario to first contact scenario trying to collect as many um, alien companions as possible. So far, I... On my card, I have, I've, I've, I've experienced the amphibians, mammalians. There's been some species that don't have genders, so I'm really thinking maybe I'll get lucky again this time when I go to have my first contact. If you know what I mean. Wait, so you're the doctor? I don't yeah. know. I mean, all those companions, and you just throw them away when you're done. I bet, never to visit them again. Oh well. Well, I'm also joined by my other trusty co-host, the ship's chief anthropologist, Darren Moser, who is currently, who's, who's, who's currently, Darren, where are you? Wait, are you wearing that invisible suit down at that pre-warp civilization again? Uh, Yes, but unfortunately they didn't have any left boots in my size, so you can actually see... Uh, my stylish left calf as I walk around. I have to try to kind of hide it behind the other. It's really embarrassing, though. But fortunately, after having worn a scant for the majority of my adult life, uh, I've toned these legs to uh, to perfect perfection. Well, I'm worried that they're going to start a very, uh, very well-buffed religion now based on what they see. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, if our listeners can or can't tell... Um, I'm very excited about this episode today. Um, you know, the other series have kind of talked about the subject before, but we've never really talked about a you know dedicated episode to it just with uh, Earl Grey. But we are talking about the prime directive, either the founding principle or the bane of your existence here in the next generation. And so um, I just want to start with two quotes. You know, I, I know I'm not writing like a high school essay here, but I want to start with two quotes here to kind of set the mood about what we're talking about. So the first is from our, of course, always valiant Captain Picard, and this is from the episode of Matter of Time, and and I'm not going to do the Sir Patrick imitation, but here's the quote. Surely you know of the Prime Directive, which states that we may not interfere in the natural evolution of alien worlds. Now, I have sworn an oath to uphold that directive, but I have disregarded it on more than one occasion, but because I thought it was the right thing to do. Okay. And then our second quote is from the episode The Drumhead, 
from Admiral Retired Sati when she is interrogating Picard and says this to him. Would it surprise you to learn that you have violated the Prime Directive a total of nine times since you took command of the Enterprise? I must say, Captain, it surprised the hell out of me. So with that beginning discussion, just introductory thoughts, Prime Directive, good, bad, and the ugly memory wipe that we never talk about again. So Daniel, what are your thoughts on the Prime Directive here? <laughs> what are- Okay, um, that's 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 a kind of a loaded question. What do I think about the Prime Directive? Um, I mean, I, I've talked about it a bit on other shows on the network. Um, I, I feel like the only way to justify how the Prime Directive is is brought across on screen across all of Star Trek is that it's not actually a Prime Directive. Uh, it's kind of a misleading title. I think it must be some sort of uh, encompassing document, like. Uh, when I think when 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 a character on screen says uh, the prime directive says, I think of of someone in our time saying, "Well, the Constitution says," and I think that it, it's got to be it has to be something like that where it's lengthy and has different moving parts and pieces and it's complicated and and there are circumstantial things and because there there's no way uh, in all of Star Trek and even just in TNG but most uh, all of Star Trek as well that that we're talking about one single rule because clearly <laughs> it doesn't apply equal and, and we don't have to get into all of that but I like the, the idea of of the prime directive as a concept I think it's very interesting I think most of the time it it gets a back seat to, to, as a plot device and I wish actually that 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 it was it was consistently portrayed as serious as it's supposed to be um but i do think of all the captains without a shadow of a doubt picard takes the prime directive the most serious right okay okay very good and it's interesting you brought up some points we're going to touch on so i won't i won't spoil it now darren what do you think um shed some light on what you think about the prime directive well, I'm uh, I'm actually I'm feeling really close to uh, who watches the Watchers because I feel like I've been reduced to Mentakin level society. Uh, I've actually had a slight uh, malfunction with my primary fusion generator here at the Doctor Sci-Fi compound, and uh, uh, don't ask me how I'm recording. I basically am speaking into a gramophone at this point, but uh, but no, I think you know Star Trek. Like Daniel said, it's yeah, it's more like primary. Uh, it's the prime guideline, you know. It's 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 kind of it, it's it's almost like in spirit, it's supposed to drive you to make good choices. But I mean, Picard himself said in in a well known season one episode, no law can be an ap- a law of absolutes. No society can be built with with just absolutes. You have to have instances where you know no law can can apply to everything so so and i I don't mean to i don't mean to jump in darren but i have to ask was that before or after he was talking about the sith because i'm pretty sure only the sith deal in absolutes that and bad morals i mean they're pretty (laughs) much the same side of the same coin but but uh but no i think you know he and he's right and and as I would trust Picard's character to make a judgment call on things like that. If he's violated the prime directive nine times, then I'd say those are nine 
pretty dang good reasons. Right, and that was only by the fourth or fifth season, so who knows? <laughs> That's true. That. Um, <laughs> He's shooting for a baker's dozen. To date. <laughs> to date. <laughs> yeah, true. Now, Darren, because you you have obviously looked at my notes, because you have already made the segue into obviously what our listeners. I mean, I don't have to tell them. Our listeners, Viral Gray, that you have already alluded to what's universally known as the best season one episode. In, in all of Next Gen, in fact, if all of Star Trek, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> that has its own hashtag and Don't go all Daniel point. on us and start making these grandiose comments <laughs> that apply to the entire franchise, okay? Oh, God. Well, there is a godlike being. So, um, but <laughs> the first thing I wanted to talk about, because we're going to go chronological here, and we're probably not even going to touch on any, I mean, we may, we may in our discussion, but I'm like not even getting past season four, because there's just so much already in Next Generation. You could talk about the Prime Directive for a whole week. Um, and, and, you know, who knows? But justice, justice is justice. one of the first times, exactly. I want to see those hashtags, people. Um, um, it's one of the first times, I mean, maybe not very the first time, but one of the first times we really see the next generation tackle the Prime Directive. And and I don't, you know, again, I don't think I need to tell our listeners what this episode is about, but in case someone wandered in from the orb or something, let me give the quick summary. Um, this is when uh, the crew of the Enterprise beams down to the sexy time planet and... Um, you know, it's sort of a, an idyllic society. It's kind of Ryza, except without the technology. Um, and Wesley beams down, and apparently there's a, there's very few laws, but the, all the laws on this planet are death penalty laws. And Wesley accidentally breaks a stupid law, but be, even even though he didn't know about it, so he sends us to death. And then Picard has to figure out what to do. But then the secondary story is that there's this huge godlike alien on the planet or, or surround, orbiting the planet. And they're basically going to, like, blow up the Enterprise if they don't, you know, do what they're supposed to do right. And so the conflict is, does Picard, you know, let Wesley be killed? And maybe this will let the Edo Guardian let them live? Or does he try and fight for the life of his crew member and then risk the Edo Guardian destroying him? And Daniel, Daniel, you said this earlier, and this is something I really want to pick up on about the Prime Directive, right? Because, you know, Prime Directive, what's the first word you think about? Non-interference, right? But this, you, you mentioned the Prime Directive has multiple components, and that's what this episode is all about. Because it's not about non-interference per se. This is that weird part of the Prime Directive that basically says when we beam down to another planet, we follow their laws, Right? It's not like, well, we just follow Federation laws, and he didn't break Federation law, we don't care. No, he broke that planet's law, and when we're with that planet, we have to follow their laws. And so, I don't know, what do you all think about, I'll go Daniel first, you know, that was sort of the conflict I've tried to kind of sandwich or encapsulate it. I don't know if I've said it perfectly, but what do you think about this conflict, Daniel? And more importantly, have you ever cosplayed in those uniforms? <laughs> Well, okay, there, there's a lot there to, to address. Before that, though, I do want to... Thanks for that mental image, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the one that's been wearing scants forever, Darren, so I don't think you have any room to talk. But uh, I do I do actually... This is a very important point that I wanted to make real quick uh, before I get into that. Is a quick disclaimer. Uh, the, the opinions expressed on Earl Grey by Philip Gilfus in no way represent the larger <laughs> Earl Grey cast... Uh, or Trek FM, or really any sane people uh, anywhere on the planet about justice. So he, you know, he's he's strictly speaking for himself when he talks about justice. I'm going to remember this for our last episode we talk about, Daniel. So keep going. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, you know, there are facts and then there are opinions, Philip, and that's <laughs> and that's the difference. Um, but anyways, um, no, I feel like, but to be serious, the justice has this component. Like, okay, so there are, like, I said, yeah, there are different pieces of the prime directive and the reason i think picard can get away with doing what he does is the fact that this is a completely enlightened society um that is well aware uh, of the existence of outside cultures and, and alien species and, and and does their thing and um they they had already you know it isn't a contamination a contamination issue because the, the enterprise crew is mm, par- some of them are probably actually actively engaging in and some in you know some very intimate activities so i th- i feel like you know it's not uh, are they playing yeah, ball <laughs> well there are games that they are playing but you know uh but so i i don't know like when when it comes to the death of a crew member like there's got to be there's got to be a level at which the prime directive is is kind of superseded by common sense i guess right presumably i mean, i know that's that's and i sh- that's a slippery slope because that's definitely in star trek that's definitely played as a wishy-washy wishy-washy subject but i don't know um i i think picard is completely justified in his actions in uh in that episode right okay well then you're sort of almost arguing the dr crusher perspective in that episode i mean even though we can say she's not being totally objective because it's her son, but she's still saying, well, this is stupid. You know, why, why are we even talking about this? Beam him up and let's get out of here. But, but uh, Darren, what do, you, what do you think? And you, you watched this recently, so, so what do you think about this? I did. I hadn't seen Justice in a while, but, uh, but upon rewatching it, it was actually a pretty engaging episode. I, I mean, you in your in your paraphrase of their laws like you know death penalty for all but it's actually more complex than that it there are i mean the whole planet is divided up into zones and their police or enforcers are the only ones who know which zones are actually being enforced at any given moment so the general populace is like well yeah i don't see a uh, an enforcer around but that doesn't mean that they're not watching this zone I don't want to take the risk that I break a law inside this zone and so it's it's not even a a a fear thing it's just more of a you know utilizing their resources so they're effectively policing a planet but not literally having shock troopers everywhere so in, in that aspect I was like okay that's if you could actually install a system like that on a planet which I mean Society-wise, it'd be very difficult to do, but if you could do that, it actually makes a lot of sense. But you do need that small caveat of, you know, well, who tells the outsiders don't play in the potted plants, you know? Uh, and and maybe that's why we have, you know, different degrees of of death. Maybe, you know, maybe they'll be mostly dead in the beginning. But <laughs> Could you put a sign up that says, uh, keep off the grass? Is that asking too much? Come on. You can and you can tell who the enforcers are because they're the ones wearing the uh, bulletproof vests, right? Like in the in the badges and stuff, right? You definitely they, know. They show the right. least amount of skin, and that's how you know they're not here for fun. They're here to work, and <laughs> and after they work hard, they people. like to play hard. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, I mean, uh, as as much as you've been ranting about justice in my ear, Philip, upon watching it again, it it was you know an enjoyable episode and. Yes, it does suffer from 
season oneness of they're definitely still finding their characters. There's still a little bit of Picard and Beverly like that. They wouldn't act like this in season seven or six, but you know, beyond that uh, it's, it's fun. And it, boy of anything, it just really highlights how terrible relationship Riker and Troy have. Boy, this is, (laughs) this just puts it, puts it to the, Oh yeah. I don't even want to go there, but yeah. Well, Darren, I like how you have you, and I don't know if you, this was the point you're making, but I'll steal your words and make it your point. Um, that behind every idyllic paradise, it's basically a fascist police state. That's, that's what, that's what it is, right? That's, you know, everyone, <laughs> you never know when and where the police are. That's but, right. uh, Oda would be very, very happy on this planet. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, mm, I like this planet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go become well, that white barricade and just pop up somewhere. <laughs> oh, this area is now a white zone. Ha ha. I caught you inside it. <laughs> <laughs> now and one of the things I, I love about this episode and i know people think i'm exaggerating but i'm not um is that you know like th- remember this is season one right we're still like is this just tos again and 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 one thing that we see picard do that we like oh well kirk would never do this where picard's like okay well all right well you can keep wesley you know we're not just gonna beam him up and and keep him we'll follow your law we're gonna be very pc about this and and you know follow a process you know but but at the same time, where people might think like, oh, well, Kirk would just say, you know, forget this. We're not following your stupid laws. The catch in this episode is that they don't have a choice because they have this all-powerful being in the planet that, that will, you know, zap them to kingdom come if they don't follow their own rules. Because my favorite part is that, and you'll have to remind me, Darren, but basically the Edo has sort of like scanned the Enterprise computer and knows their laws knows the prime directive and the enterprise and and crew are in the position of being judged by their own laws so if daniel like you said if they're just like i mean we call it the prime directive it's more of a prime suggestion and so the ito is going to be like well you guys are terrible why you know boom you're exploded you know and so they're facing well, that position and, and philip i you know you must be a little rusty on the episode because Clearly, you know, the the being above the planet is not all-powerful because only Geordi can fully see it when he's looking out the window, so. I was going to say that it's very lucky it's, like, half-phased into this reality because, I don't know, I'm pretty sure, actually, I'm definitely sure one photon torpedo could probably take out this being. <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Okay, the, this model was uh, also used in the future episode where the Enterprise crew memory is erased, and that's actually the oh, base conundrum. that they're sent to destroy. That one photon torpedo would detonate. Oh no! I don't know. That's good. Good. Uh, good catch there. I did not notice that. That's true. Yeah, it's actually the same model. It's it's but you don't but it's fully it's it's fully there, not phased out. But it's is that, that the one with McDuff? Zigzag. Yeah, the one with McDuff. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I love McDuff. He's awesome. It's only a model. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And so, I, again, I, I think it's it's definitely you know, and and y'all had already quoted the ending there, uh, Darren, with with Picard basically saying, you know, look, true justice is not black and white. There have to. He doesn't say shades of gray, 
but I'm putting those words in Picard's mouth. There's, there's shades of gray, and and the I guess the Edo Guardian winks at them virtually and says, okay, well, you got me on that one, and lets them beam up and leave, and everyone's happy. So um, so that's that was sort of I, My that, favorite line was when Data was like, we probably conflict. shouldn't have put colonists down in this uh, in this planet <laughs> or in the system. That was probably a bad move. You know, and the problem, too, with the, with the episode is that it's so simplistic in its view of, of – and I know, I guess maybe that's kind of the point. But, like, um, the fact – like, uh, and this is kind of what Roddenberry does a lot, you know, not not to trash talk him or anything. But, like, he – Oh, that Roddenberry. Gosh, you know, he gets these ideas in his mind sometimes, and I think maybe he just thinks he's – so clever he just doesn't think it through but it's like you have an entire society of people who literally cannot think in gradients like so like they're not like they can't see this concept of oh these people don't belong to our society maybe they don't understand our rules maybe it's totally okay that they trip (laughs) while playing ball for the first time and uh you know and it's not a huge deal it's just like it's like it's kind of patently absurd on its face but i mean i understand that it explores larger themes but it's like there's no subtlety to it at all and it's like come on really come on he he falls into a garden come on come on hey that's how it all started i mean Original there's, there's sin two... man good thing you need an apple well, there's two, you know, well-spoken lines. One by Tasha, where she goes, uh, who tells, uh, you know, newcomers about these so-called laws? That's a very good point, Tasha. And the second one is, <laughs> no, Wesley, it's it's death to touch new planted flowers. Wait, wait, what? Wait, okay. I mean, that just came out of a kid's mouth. <laughs> No, my favorite part would be like, and whose job is it to inquire about local laws, Tasha? Would that be like a security oh, function? Oh, snap. <laughs> no, I think those are I, my, my... I just loved how many times Wesley was called the boy. Because <laughs> it's like, okay, it, if at least his life is in danger, can we at least call him by his name? I mean, you know, Wesley, the boy, would you maybe want to beam down there to see if this plan is good for young people? I mean, Picard, you just don't know how to talk to kids. <laughs> Obviously. We don't encourage any irresponsible behavior, but if anyone wanted to do a drinking game, and we're not saying what you'd have to drink, a drinking game in season one, every time anyone says the boy in a season one episode, that would be a a good one. Um, Yeah, I think my two challenges with this episode, but again, it's so TOS-y, you know, it's a TOS complaint that, one, they're beaming down to a pre, I mean, I don't know. A pre-warp civilization. It's like, yeah, we're just beaming, you know, like a TOS. They just beam down to like the tribal culture. Be like, hey guys, here we are with our phasers and communicators. What's up, everyone? You know, I'm like, what? They, they don't. What? Why are we even here? And then second of all, that they like, let's just beam down to the planet. Well, shouldn't we learn more about the society and the laws? Nah, it it'll all be good. All right. Well, I feel like we've we've done justice to this episode. Um, all right. Our, our sort of second. I, I just knew that ninety percent of this episode was going to be about justice. I just knew. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it was actually going to be the whole episode, but you know, I figure there's always another day. This is not the official justice episode, everyone. That'll we we talked him down, folks. We said, okay, Philip, could you at least just broaden it out to like the prime directive or something? I mean, you could include justice. I mean, we could start with it, but. But, I mean, could we just at least have a broader topic? But, no, no. <laughs> Philip crafted this wonderful episode all on his own. That's right. Hashtag justice. All right. So the next um, 
early prime directive dilemma in his second season and is the episode pen pals. Um, and this is the episode where data gets a pen pal. Um, and motion chip. Flutter? <laughs> <laughs> a evil twin brother. No. Um, where he is corresponding with this young alien, uh, girl. Um, for some bizarre reason, and but her try her to plan... say this in a non creepy way, Philip. Please try. <laughs> to say There's it. no way. There's literally no way to make this episode non creepy. It's impossible to do. And her planet is in peril. Um, and and I'm sort of fast forwarding the synopsis here. And basically, long story short, you know, data reveals to the captain. Um, by the way, I've broken the prime directive. Is that a thing? Because it's only the second season, I'm not sure where I stand. Um, and Picard's like, "Oh, oh Lord!" has a big, has a big, comfortable, informal meeting in his office where they debate the Prime Directive, and then in the end, they they decide to just you know screw it and and save the planet um, and and wipe her memory because it's Pulaski on board, and we can do that only in the second season. So, <laughs> so um, so I'll switch order here. So Darren, Pen Pals, Prime Directive, you know the, the I mean, there's there, well, there's literally okay, so not a debate only... in this episode. Yeah, not only are they debating this like in the lounge, you know, cabin room, but it's he's literally seconds from pushing the off switch when we just happen to hear data, data, I'm scared. And like, it's like he knew, you know, it's like data knew, hey, if Picard hears a small child, you know, he'll have to change his mind. But but data (laughs) in this episode, he feels very much like a Benzite, like you know, oh, look, there's a weird transmission. I'm not going to tell anyone about it. I'm just going to make first contact with a pre-warp civilization and get all my findings first. You know, I think he was taking a little (laughs) bit too much, you know, uh, guidance from Ensign Men, of, you know, that, of the Ben. (laughs) They all look alike to me. (laughs) But no, uh, I think, you know, yeah, he de- Data definitely puts his foot, his positronic foot, right in it. But, yeah, but it does, you know, it does work out because we have a magic gypsy fairy on board that can erase people's memories. So, you know, it, it, we're, 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 we're good. We're good. <laughs> and then we forget that she was ever there. Um Daniel, Who? now you, of course, are a big data person. So, 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 what's what's going on here, Daniel? Yeah, th- that's a great question. What is going on during pen pals? I don't know if anybody actually knows the answer to that question. Um, it's a really strange episode, but I do. I'm glad that you brought up the scene. I actually really love the scene where they're all <laughs> they're all just kind of huddled together. It's like it's like. It's like it's the it must be the precursor to the to the uh, observation lounge room, you know, Geordie PowerPoint scenes that became a staple of the next generation later on. But it's it's much more inf- it feels much more informal than that. Like people are just shooting off ideas. It's not you know what I mean? nobody has prepared anything. It's just it's just like a conversation is going back and forth, and clearly you know. Clearly, they did it as, uh, you know, oh, this is what the prime directive is. This is what it states. This is one side of the argument. This is the other side of the argument. And I actually really like it. It was It's very quick. It's The scene's only a couple minutes long, but I, I, it's one of my favorite, honestly, from the whole season, actually. Um, and and I, I'm very proud of Worf not just, like, putting a knife in Pulaski's throat when she called him a coward, you know, because that's pretty much 
the first contact scenario there. If you were any other woman, <laughs> I would kill you where you stand. <laughs> oh, goodness. But yeah. But and, you and again, tea, so it's all good. That's right. That's right. Um, and, and again, I, I know for, for most of our listeners, you know, they've sort of heard the prime directive debate, but let me just echo it, right? Because here your Picard's giving his, you know, philosophy class, ethics 201, you know, session um, with with his students and saying, okay, well, we have some strong feelings here. You know, some think like Worf, that maybe it's a black and white, you know, prime directive, don't interfere. We have some more passionate people like Pulaski who's saying, you know, I don't care what the rules are. We have to save a life. Let's do it. So where's the line? Do we interfere when there's a natural disaster? Do we interfere when, you know, there's a war? And, you know, how, where's the line here? And, and what are our beliefs here? Which, I, for one thing, I thought it was funny because, again, it comes back to, isn't the prime directive the prime direction? It's like, let's talk about how we can break it. I'm like, what? 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 <laughs> and, again, this is why I feel like it has to be, like, a constitution-like document. Because it's like, okay, so, you know, here in America, we, we have these rights. Like, say, the right of speech, just for example. And it's not it's 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 a fundamental right that we all that we all share, but it's it's it is what is the word I'm looking for? Unlimited. It is, it's not an unlimited right, right? So there are there are places where it starts and stops. You there are things you cannot do, even though you have that fundamental right. And I feel like the the only way to make sense of the prime directive is to look at it in the same way. It's just like yes, this is our big major rule, but there are times. Clearly, there are times because if. You know, I mean, if any other, uh, we don't have a, an exact equivalent of it now, but I mean, if if there was a leader who who broke the the main rule, the main law of the land, they they would face serious consequences of it. And we see again and again and again on Star Trek these captains breaking this law, and it's okay. It's always excused, like you said, Philip, in in the one episode they mentioned in Drumhead. What, did you say nine times? Was it like? Yep. Yeah, it's that's insane. Like that's you know, if he hadn't been, that's the main law. It's the prime directive. So there has to be there has to be gradations of it. There has to be acceptances for it. And it's like nine times. Otherwise, he would have been kicked out of Starfleet years ago. I mean, that's like going to like Talos four like three times, basically, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I know it makes me wonder if there's some fan out there who's combed through all the episodes previous to the drumhead and found those nine times. You know, I mean, we got Justice. You know, uh, you know who watches the Watchers. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, maybe they just pulled a number out, or maybe they actually picked pick nine. Mm-hmm. Which is actually my favorite lottery scratch off game. Um, but you know, again, I, I think. And I, and I know there's a lot of people who disagree with the Prime Directive. I mean, in Trekdom and, and Trek fans. And, and they like to see it as a storytelling conflict, right? Because here, you know, we actually do have conflict in Next Generation. Um, and it's it's about where Picard's... And I believe this. And, and, I, and I know I may be out there, but, not, but I do. That Picard's saying, it's not only... Pr- it's protecting us. Because it's this part where we think we have the technology and we can save the universe because we're all great and wonderful. But this Prime Directive protects us from, I mean, it doesn't say this, but basically playing God. 
and deciding who lives and who dies. And, and of course, people will say, well, that's too easy because, you know, when someone's going to die, then you need to help them. But again, it's, you know, I, I would, I would, I'm definitely more in the Picard camp, but I'm sure others are maybe more in the, you know, saving lives camp about, you know, we can't play God out there when we have the power. Um, and, but, but I, I don't know if everyone agrees with that. And they would just say, well, if you save a life, you save a life. Would you ignore that little girl's cry, Daniel? Um, they, I mean, they technically do anyways, right? Like, doesn't, don't, doesn't she end up dying at the end? No, no, they help her and they erase her memory. Oh, that's right. They bring her to the top of the mountain or they tell her to go to the top of the, whatever. I can't remember. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, it's funny because this is like a huge parallel to almost a direct parallel to into darkness. Right. Um, (laughs) and we get to see, uh, how the two crews handle it differently. The new Kirk crew. And okay, draw, draw crew. it out for me, Daniel. I'm not seeing how Pen Pals is like into dark. <laughs> there are so, there are uh, volcanoes. I will volcanoes. grant you that there is okay. lava. Oh, you mean the mean the beginning of of Into Darkness? Yeah. Right. Yes. Like the yes, opening yes, sequence. Yes. Okay. Okay. I was thinking of the movie as a whole, and I'm like, I'm really not seeing that, Daniel. Please <laughs> connect the dots for me. Okay. Yeah. Well, you see no, 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 no. true. White though. skin looks just like Khan. I mean, it's pretty Gosh. much. <laughs> Isn't that how you? No, see no, no, him? no. Of course, of course. um but yeah yeah, no of course the only the only mention or or you know discussion of the prime directive in all of uh you know jj trek happens you know the 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 best in my opinion the best part of into darkness is that 10 minute sequence but anyways doesn't matter not that's not the point but um what about the part within the cells well, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I don't know. Would I let the girl die? I guess it's. I mean, you're kind of painting me as a villain, no matter what I say at this point. Like, uh, well, um, my my favorite part is where, like, you know, well, this person matters, and the morph's like to data. <laughs> to, that's actually my biggest uh, problem with the episode is the fact that data doesn't have empathy. He doesn't have this emotional reaction a natural emotional biological reaction to youth and innocence that we would data would be just come it's an algorithm data would say uh prime directive supersedes 99 percent of all of my other orders uh whatever she's gonna die i'm not even gonna respond like there's there's why would he care i don't understand but, that part but that's a great point though daniel because you'd think about it why else do we have the prime directive? Because we have our emotions and they would jade decisions we would make. I, I mean, it's it's almost like, I uh, can't believe I'm quoting it, but it's almost like Star Trek Insurrection where, yes. quote unquote, everyone's, uh, everyone's judgment is being impaired by the metaphasic, you know, uh, particles, but data. And they're like, well, data, so what should we do? This is almost kind of the same situation where, I think if anyone was to make a judgment call and weigh the uh, you weigh the prime directive versus the the best outcome, it would be data because you're right. He has no emotions. He's not making an emotional decision. He's like someone's calling for help. You know, we should help them. So you're saying this is the prime directive version of lock and load. Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure I painted you into that corner correctly. Okay, guys. So the the next episode. I want to talk about um, now, Daniel. Settle down, settle down. The next episode I want to talk about is who watches the Watchers, which is it's this Justice is a, again, right? We're going to talk about Justice again. Another prime directed episode. 
Well, the, the the poor man's justice. I believe it's that's what the Star Trek companion calls it. I mean, you can check with Larry. These are not my words. Um, but again, you know, so I, you know, poor it, man's justice. Let me do the brief recap. Okay, so the brief recap of the episode is, you know, this is the one where the Enterprise. Um, uh, rescues the the archaeologists or the anthropologists that are there with the pre-warp, the proto-Vulcan civilization. Um, you know, they beam down, trying to rescue them. One of the people are injured. Beverly beams them up. He sees Picard, goes down, starts the religion of the Picard, and and the hijinks ensue. So that's that's more or less at the quick version. But you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and go to Daniel. Daniel, you know, we've been talking about the Prime Directive. This is this is an episode that you're you have some passing familiarity with, I believe. So, what are your thoughts here about the Prime Directive and who watches the Watchers, written by Daniel Pru? <laughs> well, if anybody's uh, really interested going in depth into who watches the Watchers, they should check out the, the Ready Room that we all did together way way long ago about who watches the Watchers, um, because not only is that a fantastic episode. I'm in it as well, so it's really good. Um, but no, this is this is the I think the episode. Um, this is the quintessential early on Prime Directive episode. This is this is what separates Picard from every other captain in respect to the Prime Directive, essentially, um, right? Like Kirk. Even though we're not really the the Prime Directive is kind of ill defined in the original series. It's it's mentioned and um, and then uh, Cisco. He brings it up occasionally, but he doesn't have any problems gassing planets. So <laughs> whatever, it's not a big deal, um, you know. And then Janeway, but well, <laughs> let's not even get into Janeway. And then of course Archer doesn't have a prime directive to deal with, so it's not a problem for him. But but of all the captains that we get in Star Trek, Picard is, for the most part, is the is the strictest, is the most conservative. He's the hardest line prime directive guy, and I think a lot of that comes from this episode specifically. Because there is the line when, uh, <laughs> when Beverly beams the the injured Mintakin up, and he's like, "You should have let him die." Like, and it's like, "Whoa, whoa, buddy, whoa, maybe chill out." But he he really he does believe in this concept. He really it like I uh, and I I've mentioned it before, but I feel like he like in the same way that we have this like in. As Americans, uh, most of us, uh, you know, here, well, all three of us on the podcast are Americans, but most of our listeners probably also come from America. I'm mostly, mostly American. American. Um, you know, we have this like mm. innate uh, defense of things like, let just just for an example, like the First Amendment, right? Like we 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 hear it and we 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 want to protect it as best we can. We want unlimited freedom in that respect, even if it's not maybe uh, reasonable or or um, possible or logical to think that, that that might happen sir i disagree with what you say but i will fight to the death right <laughs> exactly to you know you know we wish we lived in that in that society where you you have the, the ability and i think that that picard has the same knee-jerk reaction to and i don't think it's technically a knee-jerk reaction because he he seems like a very well thought out man but i think he holds that value so dear the prime directive that it takes a lot for him to to break it, even though he does break it, but every captain does essentially is what we come to expect in Star Trek. And, um, I think, I think it's probably, you know, proven throughout the whole of Star Trek that he, he holds it closest. And we've learned that in, in this episode. Would it surprise you to hear 
Daniel, that Captain Picard has broken <laughs> this Prime Directive nine times? I'll tell you, surprise the hell out of me. Now, and Dan, I mean, you make a great point um, you know, with the whole episode, and I think the interesting part, you know, if, if you take the Picard side, I mean, you could almost say he's right. I mean, if, if Beverly had let, and I'm blanking on the characters' names, um, if you hit let the guy die, um, you know, by letting him live, started like a whole new religion and you had the whole cultural contamination. And, and I mean, that's the whole prime directive that, that we don't want to interfere in the natural evolution of culture. So, so Darren, what do you think about, about this episode? Well, I, I first want to touch on obviously the obvious parallels between this episode and Star Trek insurrection. Uh, I mean, obviously it's not the exact same plot, but you have the duck blind in the beginning and it's almost like it could have gone, you know, Nemesis, Nemesis could have gone, or sorry, Insurrection could have gone this way, but it, because they were a warp capable species, they just didn't show it. It, it was, it was almost like a pass like, oh, hey, it's okay. We once traveled the stars as you, and this is totally not you know, freaking us out right now, it, which is very different from you are the Picard. I'm going to create a religion around you. Uh, but, you know, but yeah, like, like Daniel said, you know, Picard is so well written in this episode and he has to make some really tough decisions. And that's, you know, you know, his character almost had to grow as he made decisions and had to live with the consequences of, uh, <laughs> you know, of, you know, not wanting to be a God figure and so, but yeah, it's it's a good episode though. I really enjoy it. it I like how it, it, with the whole duck blind thing, you know, we're getting to see other aspects of the Federation. You know, it's like we're seeing what those science ships are doing. We're seeing what researchers are doing. I mean, we know there's this Starfleet, you know, science division that does all sorts of crazy stuff, you know, but we never really see them. <laughs> you know, we just see this episode and a couple others we know. You know, the Hansons are idiots <laughs> off in their raven, you know, getting infected by the Borg, you know. <laughs> worst putting small children worst in danger. parents ever. I think they take the cake even over Borg. <laughs> but uh I mean, I would say she <laughs> developed pretty well, but you know maybe that's just from one perspective. That's all. <laughs> oh good. Well, you know, and it's interesting, one of the and maybe this is just me, one of the things about the prime directive that's kind of debated is who does the prime directive apply to? Is it just a Starfleet or is it Federation wide? Is it Federation because I think law. it's interesting. That's a good point. Yeah, cuz cuz I think in, in this or is it like a Starfleet directive cuz in this episode you have the and again, I'm blanking on all names, but you have that chief scientist who tells Picard like, "Oh no, you should totally go down and be their god and give them commandments in some kind of tablet form and I don't know, maybe <laughs> 10 of them. I I'm, I'm remembering this from a movie. Um and you know, 15, and Picard's I mean, 10, 10 commandments. <laughs> <laughs> but Picard is like, I think and maybe I'm misremembering this, but I swear he says like, are, are you kidding me? You swore the same oath I did or something. Yeah. But um so I, mean, I think the, it is federation wide. I mean, cuz I can't yeah, I can't kind of picture, you know, like the outrageous Okana just like beaming down to any planet he wants and just becoming God just because he, you know, it's almost be like this black market of coordinates for planets that are pre-warp and, uh, you know, are very influenceable because you would have totally bad people just zipping but all it's, around. It also almost seems like the prime directive would be completely unnecessary in a universe as populated 
as the Star Trek universe because, okay, maybe the Starfleet people and maybe if you want to extend it, the Federation people cannot interfere with these cultures, but what's to stop the Ferengi from taking advantage of every backward, backworld culture? What's to stop... Uh, you, like they do in the game. Right, exactly. Right? And what's you to know, stop the Cardassians yeah. from or oppressing definitely, definitely. every nearby world? Like, what's to stop these other races from doing it? And it seems like that there's there's so much overlap in the territories and stuff like that. It's like, are we really protecting these people anyways? Like, what, who's good are we serving? Well, and, and what if, like, it, it's all about the timing, you know, cause this whole pre-warp thing. Well, what if we happen to be researching a system and, we, you know, we just show up and that happens to be there, you know, July 18th, 1969 and they have like a rocket heading towards their moon and we're just like you don't see <laughs> us we're not here uh dang okay well now now we're definitely influencing your culture because you think there are spaceships out here you know i mean y- y- what what is this magical line of uh, a warp drive like just because that was the line that humanity had to step over you know, the Vulcans still didn't even think we were ready for a lot of things at the time. And it's not consistent either. Like, um, you might think that the, the first contact, uh, standard of warp drive is, is consistent with the, you know, with what we get as the prime directive, but it's not because there are definitely warp capable cultures. We just talked about one injustice, presumably, at least they're aware of, 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 warp capability if they don't have it themselves they're certainly aware of it so it's like but apparently the prime directive still applies to them that's why it's so muddy and and ill-conceived and and not very well defined that we don't really know what the prime directive says about these species it's used so inconsistently and that's true it's it's you know is the warp capability because oh well they might be getting out here or it's more like hey we can travel between stars maybe there's other people that can travel is it like just an awareness not so much technology level i mean yeah we could not have warp drive or have really crappy warp drive that doesn't get us very fast and you know when do we get invited to the big kids table <laughs> well then if you or you just mess up and then you have pack <laughs> that's just not good so we look for things, things. uh well things to make <laughs> us go well and, and it's interesting because with the watchers episode you know <laughs> as we kind of t- talked about when i think we we're on the ready room you, you know you have that rap session at the end like it's the end of a gi joe episode of like <laughs> hey kids what did we learn <laughs> um but basically G. where they're where they're basically <laughs> where they're just talking with the um, Mintakins and like, oh, well, you know, we kind of messed up this whole thing, but, you know, but I'm sure you'll be fine. Um, you know, I, I imagine, you know, like I, with the the standard joke over at Standard Orbit where the there's that ship that follows around Kirk's ship. Of course, in the next generation, we all know it's the hood. The cleanup ship. That's, <laughs> yes, that's following the Enterprise. So I think maybe the hood had to stop by a Mintaka and clean things up. Maybe, maybe they had a doctor who knew how to erase memories correctly. So, you know, one thing that we've already talked about, and we've said this word continuously throughout this episode, but it is also an episode of the same name. And it is also a celebration that we just had in the past few days. And that is First Contact, which if you're listening to this, 
we just celebrated a couple days ago on April 5th. So first contact day. So first contact, not only was it a great episode, I mean, not only is it a great movie, it was also a, well, I don't want to say great episode, I don't know, but a good episode. Um, and again, do the quick recap. This is where Riker's in disguise on the planet that is just about to develop warp drive. He gets injured, put in a hospital. They discover he's human. And then Picard and Troy are, are making first contact with the leaders of this planet. And basically the whole thing goes, goes, to, goes to heck, basically. Um, and, and it's, but it's sort of a, a, a look into how the Federation um, and Starfleet makes first contact, which we've never really seen before, um, at least with a, a new warp civilizations. So Daniel, what'd you think of this episode? It's good. Um, like you, I like that it establishes kind of the procedure that we never really get. We never ever, let me search my memory banks here. We never really get this, uh, aspect of Star Trek again, and it's super important to Star Trek, but we never get this. Like Picard explains, this is what we do when we try to reach out to alien species for the first time. And apparently we're much more tactful and discreet than the Vulcans were because the Vulcans are like, you have warp drive. Here we come. And like they just land like right where you are. <laughs> and but we're like, no, no, no. We have covert agents. They like, you know what I mean? They, they infiltrate and they learn and they observe. We have spies basically, right? We have a bunch of spies. I think this is actually section 32 that's <laughs> in charge be. of first contact. And it's really interesting. It's super interesting. And I cannot believe that, that Deep Space Nine or Voyager, well, maybe, okay, or uh, Enterprise didn't pick up on it again because it's like you could do a lot of really interesting things with this. Um, I like the I like the uh, episode overall. It's a, it's a solid episode. And it, we do learn a lot about first contact procedures in the Federation. I wish we got to see more of it. Darren, what do you think? Yeah, I this was really a fun twist on the whole, you know, first contact because it's the first contact gone wrong. It's they saw us. I mean, not that you know who watches the washers isn't also a first contact gone wrong and insurrection. <laughs> we just can't get this thing right. But it's is even worse because one of our men is captured. Uh, well, I guess that's pretty much just also like, you know, who watches the watchers, but <laughs> every episode, know, there are differences. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, uh, Riker's in trouble. He's one of the ones that's kept. No, wait, that's, that's the same as who watches. what. No, this uh, is the episode where Riker gets lucky. Oh, wait, wait. That's what it is. But no, I, I really like the character of um, that. The, the kind of overseer guy with the glasses who is just like super mm -hmm. paranoid. Uh, the can, quote unquote conservative. Yeah. And he was just you know but he was right. He's like, we don't know anything about these people. Like we don't know like what we can trust from them. And you know, I think he had a, a lot of, you know, pretty valid points uh to make. But but a good episode. I mean, again, that's what's nice about the Prime Directive because it is so broad apparently, is that we can, you know, we can have a lot of different episodes with that topic but it doesn't feel the same. Darren, um, you, you are aware that, that he was the bad guy of the episode, right? No, I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. yeah. He represented fear of the unknown. No, we can see all okay, points all right, of all right. view, Daniel. Maybe he was right, huh? Maybe he was right. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I didn't think about it clearly until you said it in a softly spoken voice. Now, now I've learned my lesson. I apologize, Darren. <laughs> 
Now every everything is questioned <laughs> now. <laughs> See, that's what they say in Cosmos. I mean, he was willing everything. to torture um, Riker. I mean, you know, and 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 willing to frame him. But okay, that's fine. That's fine. Go go ahead, Bob. But kill himself for his beliefs. That totally isn't a fundamental. Oh, wait. <laughs> I guess I um, but anyway, um, well, I, and, because I we've talked about like sort of all the prime directive going wrong, but you know at least in theory, this is supposed to be the prime directive going right. You know, yes, we're worried about contamination. We're worried about interference. But, you know, once they get warp drive, you know, you you infiltrate, like you said, Daniel, you t- get in touch with the leaders, you present your case, you say welcome to the neighborhood, you bring some flowers, some, you know, something to eat. I don't know. Um, and, you know, this, this is whatever you all want to do, however you want to proceed. But if you want us to leave, we'll leave. And, you know, it's all very in a nice, calm Chakotay voice that Chakotay we're just here to help. Good job. Um, you know, but I mean, like that, that's like, because like you said, Daniel, and I know you're, you're, you know, trying to be funny, but like, as opposed to the big honking spaceship going, boom, here we are, you know, but you know, they, They've learned over the years that, you know, if because, again, there's no easy way to do it. I mean, think about if that was being done to us. Some may say it is, Um, you know, the you know, an alien species was disguised among us. I mean, there's no no easy way for them to say, hey, welcome to the interstellar neighborhood. I mean, there's no easy way to drop that into a leader or to, you know, whatever. So it's always going to be shocking no matter what. But because also what this episode does, I mean, we talked about is. Sort of, and I know these are sort of pejorative terms depending on, on your own beliefs, but I mean, I think it's valid. The sort of progressive, liberal, whatever, versus the conservative status quo. Because, I mean, what you could argue is that the quote unquote bad guy, the, the conservative, was right that this culture wasn't ready to absorb. We're part of this huge thing. Because remember, their belief was that they were like the center of the universe. I can't remember it exactly, but something like, like that. It's just us, you know. There's there's yeah. no beyond, and that's that. And that, I liked how that episode touched upon, you know, like you said, it's almost like a belief. It's it's part of their belief system, and I mean, how would our world react if, you know, how would our major religions react if? If we've discovered, you know, that there's life elsewhere, a lot of our religions don't account for that <laughs> and theirs didn't. I mean, it, even more so, it wasn't just, you know, it's like we are it. And and it was it was interesting to see Star Trek go in that direction, though, and and have a discussion about it. And to be fair, they played it very safe because if we're going to put it in that terms, which is exactly how the episode puts it, um, the the defense minister or whatever he was represented the extreme conservative point of view and the scientist represented the extreme liberal point of view. And it was, and neither and of all form the head both, yeah, both of them were <laughs> the Goldilocks exactly, prime both minister. Both of them were wrong. And it took, it took the president or prime minister who, who ended up being the, the, the moderate of the, of, of the, between the two, um, who was actually the one that ended up being right. Who actually looked at the situation and said, we should be here. We aren't here yet. We have not arrived at this point. Um, you know, I'm not going to react in fear or panic, but we, I, I recognize that our society is not yet ready for this. I don't think that the defense guy, minister, whatever, his, I don't remember his title, I don't think he was acting in the best interest of the society. He was acting in a place of fear, 
uh, of fear of the unknown, of fear of change specifically, uh, of fear of the destruction of his current society. And uh, it, it took the prime minister who had the wisdom to say, we should get to this place. We're just not there yet. Essentially, it's mirroring uh, what I think maybe Star Trek is telling us where we are right now. Like if if aliens showed up in the sky right now, maybe it would be good for us, but uh, could we handle it? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I like to think that the woman represented TNG and the defense minister was a niner. <laughs> and Never mind. Never mind. He assumed the worst was going to happen and everyone was out to get Inflammatory him. language! Um. <laughs> well, I think we, I thought we were taking turns every week. Anyway. Um... But yeah, I mean, cause I, I think that is an interesting part of, of, you know, cause it would, because even in this episode, first contact, un, unlike the Vulcans in the movie, first contact, we, Picard didn't even wait for them to like launch the ship going at warp speed is like, you got the schematics close enough. That's all close we really, enough. yeah, that's good. <laughs> you don't have to actually build it. I mean, you know, we'll save you the time and trouble here. Have our, all our technology. Well, he wouldn't have done that if things didn't go south. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, I think that that's a because think about that. It's like, and I don't know how it works. We've never really seen per se that in any of the series, and maybe we have. I'm just not thinking of it. You know, okay, first contact. All right, things go well, but you go from like just getting warp drive to like here's replicators, a holodeck, and transporters. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I mean, you know, talk about going warp speed culture, and and I think that's what the episode points out. And, and and again, not to get philosophical or whatever, but our technology doesn't always match our culture. Mm. That sometimes one goes a little faster than the other, and sometimes you got to let the other one catch up. And so, you know, we could probably do a whole episode on that title or on that thought. But but I thought that was a very interesting part of this episode. So you know, for people who you know may have seen First Contact, the episode, I'm like, eh, whatever. But I would definitely encourage people to watch it again because I think there's a, definitely a lot you can get about the Prime Directive, about culture, about technology, about philosophy, blah, blah, blah. I know sometimes it seems like we Star Trek has a hard time with names because, you know, we had we had the Emissary and then you... But that's not the actual one we want to talk about. That's the pilot of, you know, DS9. And then we had First Contact. But that's not actually what we want to talk about. We want to talk about the awesome movie. So I just it's just hard finding really good, not used, you know, uh, things, you know, to, to title our episodes. It's... <laughs> Or podcasts. Or podcasts. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, we've, we've, we've hit, uh, you know, like I said, four episodes here of The Next Generation Prime Directive, all early episodes. I think we could go on and on talking about other episodes and everything else. But, but um, you know, let's just kind of get into some, some final thoughts here. So, um, like I know, The Prime Directive, it could go on forever. But let's just do... Final thoughts, whatever you want to say about the Prime Directive. Um, so, so Daniel, I mean, what, what do you think? All these early episodes we've talked about, seasons one through four, and of course, you know, mentioned Insurrection, we mentioned some other ones as well, and Packleds, but we'll go into those another date. But what, what do you think about how the TNG did about the Prime Directive? Was it good, bad, indifferent? What, what do you think? Um. <laughs> 20 seconds, go. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we've talked here on Earl Grey about uh, Canon Locked before. And if and when there's a new TV show, there are a few things I feel like they have to establish from the get-go to, to get the show running. And I think the Prime Directive is one of them. It's just, 
it's too nebulous. It's too undefined. It's too, we don't know what it means. Like we, we have a rough idea, but it doesn't apply in some situations and then it doesn't apply in others. Like it's great as a plot device, but as a world building, uh, exercise, it's, it just falls flat. And for something so important for something, that's the fundamental principle of this society that we are supposed to aspire to. I, I really feel like the writers of star Trek could do better. And they and they could take a stand and they could say, this is what we mean. Yes, you can save people from their planet exploding or a volcano, you know, erupting. But no, you cannot give them phasers like uh, until. But the Klingons were giving them phasers. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I just wish that, you know, fine. If you're going to make a hard and fast rule, then make the rule. It's fine if you break it. I don't even care if you break it, but establish the rule before you you devote uh, probably dozens and dozens of hours uh, of Star Trek to it. Um, TNG does just as good, uh, you know, I think as the rest of Star Trek, these early episodes, they're wishy-washy. You can't, you cannot get a good concept of what the, the prime directive is. And it's so frustrating to me as a viewer. And um, like I said, I love watchers hate insurrection. I like first contact. Justice is terrible. Um, I mean, what, um, <laughs> terribly good uh, but you know so it's like uh, you know l- let's get some consistency and let's let's build on it and uh i like i like the opportunities it provides but uh not at the expense of the entire universe you know, the entire universe that we've tried to create so that would be my biggest complaint about about the prime directive all right darren when we put you on trial for breaking the prime directive what is your defense going to be uh, members of uh, this tribunal, <laughs> the first time a link in the chain is forged, uh, dooms us all to talking about justice even more than... Why are you trying to hide your pointy ears? Um, my second, third cousin was... <laughs> no, uh, actually, I, I want to touch on like what Daniel just said, and I... I think that'd be really hilarious if, you know, this was set, let's say, like, like the Star Trek Online era, like it's, you know, another hundred years or so. And they're just like, yeah, Prime Directive didn't really work out for us. We pretty much just abolished it. <laughs> just do whatever the heck you want. And, you know, it just just use your best judgment, because how could that possibly go wrong? <laughs> but yeah, and then they'll have a follow up episode called Judgment instead of Justice. <laughs> <laughs> That was an Enterprise episode. Anyway. Again, like I said, um, you can't you know find new titles because they're all <laughs> used already. But no, I think I think I agree with Daniel. I think it's it needs to be locked down. But you know, but again, we're also putting this small element of a TV show under a microscope, and obviously, it had to kind of shift and evolve and change as the show was going. I mean. It's just like the torpedoes on Voyager. Like they just shouldn't have said we have X number of torpedoes and no way to replace them in the pilot. Just, I get you're trying to create some tension, but that was not a wise move because you know, you're going to break that rule. Uh, And so just the same way as, you know, they don't need to print the prime director for me. I don't need to see all the ins and outs of it. It's just a, it's a guideline. It's more like guidelines, you know, towards, uh, towards what our characters should be doing. Because just like in Justice, you know, we are the Edo gods observing them and we will 
you know, be upset if Picard acts out of character and just flies in the face of the prime directive. Like we expect him to act a certain way. <laughs> now you have me thinking of the Edo guardian as like an angry nerd at his computer. And we're like, excuse me, you're not going by your own rules. That I saw. Memory alpha, which I am um, a web administrator of. Uh, it clearly states that <laughs> the character of Jean-Luc Picard, he should, he should always. Oh, sorry. My mom's calling. I have to, I have to go. Okay. Oh, but yeah, I I think one thing that that fast, I mean, I love the Prime Directive. I'm a big believer in like I'm I'm the uh, episode title escapes me, but the Don't Do Drugs <laughs> episode, which I could have talked about, but I didn't. Um, there's a scene of where Picard is talking to Beverly in the turbo lift, and and basically you can find this clip on YouTube because it's basically like. He says that the prime directive in his view, and I'm paraphrasing, is basically their civic religion. You know, he says it's a philosophy and a correct one at that. Um, and, I mean, that's how strongly he believes. But I think one thing that always amuses me about the prime directive in the next generation is that usually Jean-Luc is the only one that believes in it. Like, you know, like like Riker's like, no, let's just go down and do this. And Beverly's like, no, we just, I'm like, it's like only one person swore this oath to uphold the prime directive. It's like Picard, the beachhead that without him, they'd just be doing whatever the heck they want. So, but, but I, but I do love Picard as sort of the, uh, the representative of what the prime directive is well, supposed to mean. Maybe it's just one of those, you know, in his first your eyes only captain meeting that he get as soon as he was promoted. That's all they really show you is the prime directive. No one else actually you know, knows the prime directive. It's, it's his job to know it and enforce it, which how could that possibly ever backfire? Well, it's no Omega directive. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's been fun talking about the prime directive today, but this is just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek.fm this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm standard orbit. Montgomery Scott is really just there to tell a story that they couldn't tell with Kirk or Spock or McCoy. This is true. An episode where Kirk is framed for the murder of a hooker would be... Right. Awesome. Completely different. It but... would be awesome, but... <laughs> Earl Grey. Ships of TNG Part 2. Commander Riker, why would you protect the inferior <laughs> ship? I want its treasure. I want the other ship. Darren, how long have you been keeping that one in your pocket? You yeah, I like tell that. Us. That was good. Do a <laughs> the ready room. Scientific method. She tells the the the, the, guy, the woman that comes on the bridge, and she's like, "Well, it doesn't, you know, it it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to drive into these stars. It's going to be great." Like it's like <laughs> I'm just like the orb. Till death do us part. His are, are are very quizzical in nature. They they're of the scientist. They're of the somebody who. Who is willing to accept? Okay, where? What is this reality? What's going on? She's just all like, "Tell me what to do right now." You know, like she, right. She, there's nothing spiritual about her. To the journey. One versus doctor's orders. I was working full time on top of being a full time student, and I listen. I don't, I don't want to hear your excuses. Okay, I don't want to hear them. <laughs> Like, life was happening and... A great man once told me, if something's important to you, you make the time. Warp 5. Undeveloped Enterprise Stories. But the idea here is that Porthos would become intelligent and would be the only member of the crew capable of communicating with a canine alien. So even Hoshi apparently couldn't figure out this dog language. Commentary, Trek stars. Fifth Bull, Shimera. 
I loved. I'd love to see an X Files one shot with Scully and and the hookers. With you know? Scully and the hookers. Yeah. That's a great name for That's a what band. We can call it Scully and the hookers. <laughs> <laughs> Melodic tracks. Five musical favorites. You know, I don't completely hate the opening theme. I, I just really think that Archer's theme should be the opening credits. Continuing mission. Star Trek Axelar with Alec Peters. That's what we posit. We say it makes sense that at this point, we know it's from from TOS. They're not integrated, so our crews are not integrated. And and we make a point of that. We don't avoid it. We make a point of it. And in Prelude to Axanar, they talk about that. Literary Treks. IDW Alien Spotlight, Part 1. Well, Chris, it's okay, because they can see the Romulans from their house. That's right. So... From space, you know, you betcha. You know, uh, that's okay. I can see the Romulans from my uh, from my starship. It's gonna be fine. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream from the website. Just visit Trek.fm/pd for podcast directory to get all the links. And if you'd like to contact us to share your thoughts about the Prime Directive and what it means and how you've broken it lately, um, you can just go to trek.fm slash contact, and from there, choose the form. Uh, this is Send a Show and select Earl Grey. Uh, these messages will be emailed to the three of us, and you can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page on trek.fm to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone, which we've never gotten one, so we'd love for you to be our first. The conversation is always going on with our podcast crew and other listeners in our forums section at trek.fm slash forums. And finally, in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Well, before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring Earl Grey to you each and every week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, to include Star Trek The Next Generation titles such as Reunion, narrated by Gates McFadden, and The Valiant, narrated by TV's Giles, Anthony Stewart Head. Audible has something for everyone. And as a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today and catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've had yet to read, and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Earl Grey and trek.fm. And lastly, there's a way you can help us directly to support Earl Grey coming to you each and every week, and that's by adopting some cool-looking alien illustrations. If you go to trek.fm slash donate, you'll find eight original alien illustrations by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork you see on trek.fm. They're available as both badges and art prints, and there are different contribution levels for you to choose from. Just let us know which alien you would like and in which format. Again, you'll find them at trek.fm slash donate, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. 
All right, guys, before I go check the rule book here, uh, Darren, um, if folks want to learn how they can uh, break the prime directive and how they can defend themselves in a court of law, where they can, can they find you on the interwebs? Oh, they can find me online on Twitter under Dr. Sci-Fi. That's D-R-S-C-I-F-I. They can also uh, listen to me talk about science fiction toys on the Dr. Sci-Fi show. That's this month's uh, topic, and they can find that on iTunes or at drsci-fi.com. Awesome. And Daniel, if uh, anyone wants to get your personal commentary to the episode, Who Watches the Watchers, where can they find you on the internet? Well, they can find me on Twitter, uh, and that is at 1updan, and that is the number one, not the word. All right. And if anyone wants to talk to me about all the philosophies and civic and civil and all other kinds of religions and beliefs out there in the wide world and universe, they can find me on Twitter at NC Public Servant. That's NC Lake, North Carolina. And if you missed our live recording broadcast last week, you can just follow the link in the show notes and mark that start date in your calendar because can you believe it? You may have missed it nine times. And that would have surprised the hell out of me. Well, we'll see you next week. Make it so. Engage. Live long and prosper. Fire. <laughs>